Big Fluff. Are y'all ready for some crazy shit? Like the hood has snitches, dope fiends, and bitches. The hood of horrors is haunted with freaks, demons, and devils. The freaks I know come in all shapes and sizes, like my main man Charlie. We call him Half Pint. Now, why are you always trying to get on my bad side, man? I'm trying to tell the homie some stories, and here you go fucking up my flow. God damn. One nasty little dude right here. This place is covered with a whole bunch of them. And most of them are hoping for redemption. But they don't get it unless they listen to my stories. Because I am the gatekeeper to the after party. This shit is crazier than any reality. So who's gangster enough to hang out with me? Or y'all just full of shit? So gather around. It's me and my little freaks. We want y'all to listen and learn. And no, this ain't one of your father's campfire tales or one of your mama's sweet bedtime stories. And just like I ran the hood, nigga, I run the hood of horns. Hey everybody, I'm Joel Murphy. And I'm Andy McIntyre. This is Silver Linings Playback, the podcast where we watch maligned movies and we find their silver linings. And it is spooky season, baby. Yeah, it is. Dude, I didn't have the thing ready. I didn't know. I didn't know we were still doing that joke. Uh, so you got to bear with me. All right. Uh, hit me again. Hit me again. I'm ready. All right. Sorry. And it's spooky season, baby. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> that was the right one, right? Yeah, nailed it. No, that's I was I was wondering why you were so slow on the beef. <laughs> so slow on the beef, um, which is a lot of our competitors, but at Andy's In and Out Burgers, <laughs> we're quick with the beef. Uh, actually, that reminds me, real quick, before we get into it, we do. It's very exciting for us. We do have a sponsor this week, and Ooh. yeah, uh, this is big for us. So. So let's all, all just get ready, finally, after all our hard work. But yeah, this week's episode is brought to you by Jack O'Lantern's Spooky Seasoning. It's a delicious blend of pumpkin spice, melted candy corn, and demon sweat. Ask for it by name, Jack O'Lantern's. It'll jack you up, baby. Yeah. Isn't that exciting? That's exciting. That's great. It's our first sponsor, Jack O'Lantern's uh, Spooky Seasoning. Spooky Seasoning. It's, I put it on everything. But, All right, uh, only during spooky season. Yeah, it's because you can't. After, after a, Look, I love them. I'm excited to have them as a sponsor. But after uh, 31 days of putting that on everything, and I put it on everything, cornflakes, uh, you know, popcorn, it's all delicious, but then you don't. The water I take my meds with, <laughs> yeah. just a sprinkle of Jack O' Lantern spooky seasoning. But then you do not want it again for another year, for another eleven what months. One can only take so much demon sweat. Yeah, it's also hard to bottle. And that look, I'm not. I'm not going to lie to you all. It's a high price point, but they individually bottle the demon sweat. Yeah, they purpose. They individually sweat a demon. Yeah. And and collect all of the sweat in a sponge. Which think about bring that sponge into the seasoning. Think about that for a second. They're demons. They live in hell. Hell famously hot. They don't sweat like unless it's very difficult. Yeah. It's it's very difficult to make a demon sweat. Yeah. 
You actually have to give. And that's the high quality product that Jack O' Lantern Spooky Seasoning guarantees to bring to you each and every spooky season. It's really weird. Do you know how they do it? I because I was curious, so I emailed Jack because you know they're a very responsive company, and he he actually personally answered my email. They apparently uh, tell the demons that it's finals week, and they have a big algebra test. And somehow the demons believe they're actually in school, yeah. and then they start sweating. Yeah. So that's what they, but they have to do that each time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, eventually they catch on and then, and then you can then never, a whole other mess. you can never use that demon again. Yeah. You can never sweat. So each demon, <laughs> each, uh, bottle is unique demon sweat. Yeah. And so sometimes I will admit, sometimes the flavor will change a little bit depending it, on, it varies from bottle to bottle, but that's the bespoke, uh, quality that you can expect. From one Jonathan Orville Lantern. Yeah. Because most people think it's like Jack O. Lantern, like O'Shea or O'Connor. No, no. It's Jack O. Period Lantern. His last name is Lantern. Yeah. I was surprised too. Yeah. But then. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, we got a big like Irish sponsor. That makes sense to me, you know, but no. It turns out he's from Lithuania. (laughs) Which is where a lot of demons live. There are a lot of demons in Lithuania, famously cold. So sometimes those demons, it's easier to make sweat. Yeah, but only if they've acclimated to the climate. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> As you can tell, by the way, this week we're talking about Snoop Dogg's Hood of Horror. <laughs> As if it wasn't obvious, um, because that was another sponsor of Snoop Dogg's Hood of Horror from 2006. It was the second biggest sponsor, the biggest sponsor of Snoop Dogg's Hood of Horror, Weed. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, that movie was brought to you by Weed. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, this, uh, we are continuing our look at uh, horror movies heading into the, the urban setting. And I think Snoop Dogg's Hood of Horror is a perfect candidate for this month. Yeah, no, it is good. Like, you know, um, it, it's surprising, like, really, when we went through it, of obviously horror typically set in the suburbs or in rural areas, but there are some, some really interesting uh, things set in a city. And this one, when we saw this, it, I mean, this is catnip to this show. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, this is, this is, uh, this is everything this podcast is made for is this movie. Yeah. I will say, by the way, at the top, Tales from the Crib was right there. Tales from the Crib was right there. Yeah. But maybe there are some license rights. You think you think that uh, the Crypt Keeper is very litigious? I, I, if there's one Don't thing I know steal about my intellectual property. <laughs> yeah, um, he's incredibly litigious. Uh, and so, yeah, so it's Tales from the Crib. That's a better name, objectively. Yeah. And and it's I mean because I say that too to set it up if people haven't watched and they're listening to this, it's it's a Snoop Dogg take on essentially Tales from the Crypt. If people remember the iconic HBO horror anthology series, I used to love that show, man. I was a big Tales from the Crypt fan. I was too, and I I was thinking about that recently. That like why isn't that? I mean, I know the answer because they took everything off of Max. But wouldn't that, why that should be streaming somewhere? It it should pop up for October at least. Because I would definitely rewatch those. Yeah. I mean that those are so fun and what a great character the Crypt Keeper was. And it was good. And that was like that was one of the first really scandalous movies that I saw, which we could definitely do for the show, was Tales from the Crypt's Bordello of Blood, 
which I was not, it was, I think it was NC-17 and I was not 17. Uh, and, Ooh, and my buddy, scandalous. my buddy Justin and I got in there to see it underage. Yeah, that movie had a lot of boobies in it. Which was the only selling point for us. Yeah. And I, I mean, that's, that's, everyone that was in that theater was a 15-year-old boy. I think that was the thing. I think we thought we were getting away with something. And I think they realized that if you turned away every, like, you know, 12-year-old boy that was trying to see this movie. No one's seeing that movie. <laughs> yeah, like, we're a theater. We got to turn a profit. You're going to start carting kids? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. That one Corey Feldman fan. <laughs> Uh, is not enough, even though he went to every showing at the theater. And that, that one fan's name is Corey Haim. R.I.P. Yeah, R.I.P. Uh, but I think even by those standards, that was like our selling point. And I think even then we were like, oh, this is not good. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there are a lot of boobies, but... But at, mm. but at what cost? <laughs> but what hell have we wrought upon ourselves? <laughs> Uh, yeah, but, uh, but anyway, so this is very clearly in that mold and I, th and I love that conceptually and I think it's smart and I love the idea of Snoop Dogg being the Crypt Keeper like role in this, but yeah. I, I think we're here and we're discussing it because while I, I give it a, a 10 out of 10 for premise, I think the execution is maybe not as good as it could have been. No, I, I, I think that's right. Um, it's kind of the same complaint that we're having. Uh, God, I'm blanking on the the movie. Uh, Vampire in Brooklyn is that it's not really funny and it's not really scary. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it should have been one of those. This one's kind and of. And that's the thing is like. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say this one's kind of weird, too, because like it almost felt like sneakily. Like it was written by a youth pastor or something like almost verging on using Snoop Dogg and using the setting and using hip hop to trick us into what were essentially pretty like straightforward morality, morality tales. tales. And I, I was a little surprised by that as well, that like essentially they all boiled down to some variation of like, you know, the last one literally a guy made a deal with God and then is punished for turning uh, yeah, the on the last God. one is almost literally a Christmas Carol yeah. in a lot of ways, <laughs> almost like an inverted uh, Christmas Carol or like one where that guy is now going to be wrapped in chains and explaining to his friend, don't do what I did. Cause it's, it's the bad version of a Christmas Carol where the guy didn't learn the lesson and turn the corner. <laughs> right. It's, it's, it's the Jacob Marley biopic, which someone's got it we should do we're sitting here making new willy wonka movies which is insane to me because you already did that once and it was terrible so why not do it yeah. another time and have it be also terrible because and i'll i'll, I'll say it i love timothee chalamet i think he's the prettiest girl in hollywood i i love him too like he's he's such a pretty man and i mean that sincerely you know and he's i like him in dune and he's he's a good actor i like him he is a good actor he can rock a peacoat yeah, I'm 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 team Chalamet all the way, but like Gene Wilder is Willy Wonka and also that original movie understood child murder. That's what that's about. <laughs> yeah, that movie is flat out about child murder. And I uh, and I so but in a top 3 movie about child murder. Definitely yeah, one of my favorites easily. Uh but I we're making all those. I I say that to say like 
the you know a christmas carol which we've made a million versions of but the prequel to that that's about marley that would be sick like just to find out just how just to see how cruel marley was and if he could have been redeemed like was he close because presumably they did this to him he he had his own christmas carol but did, yeah did he get christmas caroled i assume that he did right or maybe that he didn't get Christmas caroled. And then he and he was down in like, hell. He's like, no, we have to Christmas carol Ebenezer. He's down in hell like, do we ever think about Christmas caroling everybody? It's a new thing I just made up, but we should do it. Yeah, we should Christmas. So he, uh, with the help of uh, John Milton, Nicolas Cage, he escapes from hell. Yeah. Or. So this Jacob Marley biopic is set in the uh, Drive Angry universe. <laughs> I think all movies should be set in the Drive Angry universe. Until I hear otherwise, I assume a movie is set in the drive, drive angry universe. But I'm also thinking maybe the move is that instead of it being like a prequel, maybe it's just a Christmas Carol from Marley's perspective. And what we find out is that he is redeemed by doing the Christmas Carol, that that's what allows his soul to rest. And as it the ends in like this great moment of him, like the chains being unlatched and him ascending into heaven. And I think what should happen is at the very end, Ebenezer Scrooge looks over and Hayden Christensen is a young ghost version of Jacob, of Mar Jacob Marley. Yeah. Why don't we just get Hayden Christensen to play Jacob Marley for the movie? Well, do you old age make up for like the most of the movie? But then. Yeah. Yeah. I'm down. Remember when he's younger. Totally. Let's do it. Yeah, it's been so long since I've actually encountered like the original version of the Christmas Carol. But the, is the Jacob book? Marley in any of the flashbacks? Are you, you mean like, the... is he a character in the flash? Well, I mean, either the book or some of the older movie versions that that hewed closer to the source material. I think that he is. I think that he's in past. I mean, if anyone, he'd be in past. But I think but... he is because I think they were business partners. I, I just don't have strong memories of Jacob Marley being anything but the ghost in the beginning. You know what I mean? Yeah, but that could be because so many other movies gloss over. But I think he is in my memory. Is... Like, I remember Mr. Fezziwig. Well, how could you forget? I mean, with a name like Fezziwig, it's got to be good. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's. Uh, I would I would watch a Jacob Marley biopic or a, or a origin story. Yeah. Christmas Carol's origins, Jacob Marley. And then if it's not good, we'll make two more of them. We'll make Marley and then the good one will be called Jacob. Perfect. <laughs> What's Hugh Jackman up to? <laughs> Nothing as far as I know. Like, I think he's I, I, he's got this Deadpool movie and then he's his schedule's free. I mean, he's going to Jets game, so he's got a lot of time on his hands if he's willing to watch the Jets. Isn't he dating Taylor Swift, though? Isn't that why he's been going to those games? Am I understanding that correctly? I'm not really following this season, but I think that he's dating Taylor I, Swift and that's why he's at Jets I, games. I, I think he's dating Ryan Reynolds. Okay. Who's dating Sophie Turner? Who's dating Timothy Chalamet? Who's dating Travis Kelsey? And then that's where I lose it. But Taylor Swift's there somewhere. She where isn't Taylor Swift? That's what I want to know. That's true. She is omnipresent and I'm here for it. I thought that was weird that I I didn't know a lot. But then I started looking into that era's tour and I was like, wait, 1920s, like 1830s. Like 
wait, I, I was not aware of any of this. The era's tour 1770s? Like, what is happening? Yeah, uh, I, I'll tell you what. Uh, Battle Hymn of the Republic, Taylor's version, slaps. It's, it's so much better. <laughs> it's, it is a straight bop, let me tell you. I didn't realize it was a breakup song. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> I'm also a big fan of Pachelbel's Canon, Taylor's version. <laughs> another just classic. Yeah. Yeah, totally. All right. But anyway. I love her. Of horror. I that was the thing. I went back and watched Amadeus, and I was like, "Oh, there she is. Okay, she she dated Wolfgang. I should have known." Like, yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah. So, Hood of Horror, <laughs> <laughs> the laser focus you expect from SLP, yeah, uh, on full display here. Um, no, this like this movie was never going to get good reviews. The best version of this movie has probably like a forty eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes. I mean, it's uh, like just. I think like the best version of this movie has a 420 on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> Fair. Um, so like, I mean, this movie was never going to be a critical darling and it would like the best version of this movie would be fodder for this podcast. I think uh, this is not the best version of that movie, but I think I think the best best version of this movie was one that was good enough that this became an anthology series like i would have enjoyed it was like every couple years there'd be another snoop dogg's hood of horror yeah agreed 100 percent. and i would have loved that and i would have been into it i would have been into them just taking another shot at this just concept wise alone but that's not what happened obviously this was 2006 i think and uh, they have not made more of them and if i know one thing about snoop dogg he would have made more of them if anyone had asked so yeah, if, if there was if there was a way to earn a dollar or two, Snoop would have done it because Snoop's all about uh, he's got his mind on his money and his money on his mind. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about we don't have to spend a lot, but like we said, so it's anthology. We get three stories. I think we can at least like set them up pretty quickly. And then I think maybe we can talk about how much we liked or disliked the three stories, because I think that's really what it hinges on. Ultimately. Yeah. Because I think there are some genuine silver linings to this movie um, that I think we can definitely go into great detail on. So I think that's a good approach. All right. So, well, also, it's technically four stories because it starts with an animated story that explains Snoop Dogg's character. And yeah, it gives his backstory. And his backstory is that he accidentally shoots his sister and then makes the deal with the devil to kill himself in order to bring her back. And he slits his throat. And then that and he becomes a hound of horror and he becomes a hound of hell. Yeah, he becomes a hound of hell. And he seems to be judging these other characters, I think. And he's also in the stories like he pops up uh, from time to time as a character, which it's unclear who the people in the story think that he is. But that's fine. I don't think that matters. Well, it's it's weird that he isn't in the first one. Yeah, but then he's in the, the other. And then two. he's in the other two. And. Just shoots a chihuahua and it explodes in one of them that was a weird choice especially because he's otherwise pretty likable in these even as like a demon right as a hound of hell as a hound of hell but uh but i guess it's competition because that was another dog and because he looks in the camera and says uh you know no dogs allowed present company excluded it is exactly what he says all right but so the first story is a girl that is hired by Billy D. Williams uh, to paint a mural outside of his church. And then Danny Trejo gives her magical powers, but then she uses them wrong. 
and she's murdered by the guy from um Bruce Almighty, I want to say. Yeah, he's the Bruce Almighty, the monkey out of my butt guy. He is the monkey out of my butt guy. Yeah. Uh, she's murdered by him who uh, she had. Who she murdered earlier. Who she had murdered earlier because. And this is where it gets kind of her. into the morality tale thing. She was supposed to be using her powers for good, but she used them for evil to kill the taggers in the neighborhood that she didn't like. As a graffiti artist. Because um, they did, I mean, they did almost assault her. Yeah, but in the, that's what I'm saying, where it feels kind of youth pastry in the world of this movie, she should have used love, not hate, even though they were terrible. Shouldn't we all use love, not hate, even though they're terrible? No. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's the first story. That's that one. Uh, like I said, we get Billy D. Williams as the pastor in that one. Yeah. Um, when you were saying she was going to, uh, that he hired her to paint a mural, I was like, wait, didn't he hire her to mine Tabana gas on the planet Bespin? But I was, I could be confused. That does sound like this movie, but. Um, but I know he hires her to paint a mural. Um, I'm just going to, I'm just going to say, cause we're in the maligning portion still. Not a very good mural at the end. Well, in fairness, she didn't paint it because she's killed. And then I don't I think uh, like Danny Trejo made it. I don't know who actually but it made was. It. it was her plan to just like paint a bunch of poppy flowers. She did like flowers. Because her name was Posey. Mm hmm. But yeah, Posey Santana. But yeah, uh, but that's that's basically that's that one. <laughs> Um, but yeah, and she, uh, the the three uh, toughs that give her problems are all gorily murdered, and then they get their revenge. Mm -hmm. So that's the first one. And then the second story is just the worst people that have ever existed. This completely racist redneck guy and his equally shitty girlfriend. Uh, it turns out this guy murdered his father, who seemed like a saint, who had a property that he was allowing three of his Vietnam veteran, uh, four of his Vietnam veteran, uh, like, you know, platoon mates to stay in. And he classic ghost story style tells his son that he has to live there with them for a year before he can inherit yeah. the property. <laughs> yeah, basically his, uh. His will is essentially a tongue teen where he has to meet a certain task in order to get this because he realizes his son is the worst. He thought that maybe living with Ernie Hudson for a year uh, would set you straight. And I would argue I, I, that if you could live with Ernie Hudson for year, a year and not be a better person, then, yeah, you're irredeemable. Yeah, that's you just that's it, because I would. I would live with Ernie Hudson for a year for free. Yeah, you wouldn't have to give me the property. I I would, in fact, like just, yeah, I, I want someone to write a will or a contract that says that Ernie Hudson has to live with me for a year. Yeah, because I think that I need that in my life. I need some Ernie Hudson. I think we all do. I mean, uh, I would also live with Richard Grant for a year, who uh, appeared previously in Halloween month from Jason Goes to Hell. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And he was he was the silver lining of that movie, or uh, one of the silver linings. But, um, but yeah, it's uh, I would and and then uh, after Anson Mount and uh, uh who is it, Brandy Roderick, uh, are just the worst. Then um, Ernie Hudson and Richard Grant and Tucker Smallwood get revenge. Well, uh, they also find out that like I don't know if they figure out that he murdered his own father, but they do figure out that he murdered the caretaker 
that was coming in to, you know, like cook for them and, and meet their medical needs as four Vietnam vets who were, you know, had various health issues. She was their Daphne Moon, if you will. Yes. Someone's been watching a lot of Frasier. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I don't know. Um, yeah. And so that's that one. And then. And then. Oh, no. Go ahead. We're going to say more about this. I nope. go to the final one. Go for it. Okay. So the final one uh, features uh, the morality tale of rapper Sod, mm-hmm. which stands for survive or die. Yep. Just stupid. Yep. Um, and he uh, is a fast rising up and coming rapper about to win the best fast rising up and coming rapper award as presented by Method Man and Lamar Odom. Yeah. Who's not the only NBA player in this movie. <laughs> no. Because uh, there's a random cameo from Tayshawn Prince as well as a guy who got his legs cut off. Yep. That's a thing that happens in the movie. Um, and he encounters a different hound of hell played by Lin Shay, uh, who you would probably know from a lot of Farrelly Brothers movies. Uh, and she sort of uh, Christmas carols him. And then Aerie Spears, uh, his former partner, Quan, uh, who was murdered by Diamond Dallas Page, um, comes back and gets revenge. Yeah. And the thing, this is this one feels super morality tale, as I was setting up in the beginning, in that it starts out with Saad is in church praying to God to be a big star. And he's looking for a sign and a baseball flies in through the window uh, which is thrown by the the guy who will be his partner. Uh, I forget what we just said his character name is, but uh, Quan, played Quan. by Ari Spears. Yeah, Quan, and that's how they meet, and then they launch a a career where they, you know, like they're outcast or whatever. <laughs> like there are two guys who uh, are a very successful yes, duo. Yes, the the only rap duo. Yeah, name another one. You can't. Method Man and Red Man. No, I said name another one. Eric B and Rakim. Come on, name one more. Uh, run DMC because Jam Master J was the DJ. Yeah, but then name another one. <laughs> uh, Black Star. Okay, name one more. Um, Dre and Snoop. Okay, but then another one. <laughs> uh, EPMD. Okay, but then name like four more. <laughs> Alright, you got me. There's no one. See? <laughs> uh... <laughs> But then, yeah, uh, also, I think we can bring this up now because I, I'm not maligning it, but I don't know that it's a silver lining. But I did think it was very funny just, again, being a wrestling fan that I mean, first of all, I had that, which I assume you had, which I was like, is that Diamond Dallas Page? Like, and then I'm like clocking him and he's playing their security guard. But the scene is that they they're in a convenience store that sod is like let's stop at this specific convenience store right now and kwan is is rightfully skeptical but is like okay and then as they walk in a guy in a balaclava like comes in with a gun and holds them up and then starts talking and i immediately was like well that's diamond dallas page <laughs> like with a mask on immediately recognized diamond dallas page's very distinct speaking voice well especially cuz he uh, as soon as he walks in there he's like shoulders back chest out yeah and then he was like give me your money or you're going to feel bang. the bang 
Yeah. So um, it was kind of obvious. Yeah. But no, it was. I don't know if you had that where it was like it was so obvious that it was Diamond Dallas Page if you know Diamond Dallas Page, which I assume most people who watch this don't. But yeah, I, I mean, I bet you there's a fair overlap of Snoop fans and wrestling fans because Snoop is, a, after all, a WWE Hall of Famer. And, uh, you know, won a match at WrestleMania. That's, so, I mean, maybe there's probably some fans that know who DDP is. That's true. I mean, are we ready to pivot? Because I, I think we can pivot by actually telling a quick story about WrestleMania, that this is probably the only opportunity that we'll get to tell it. Yeah, go ahead. All right. So you and I, as you said, we went to WrestleMania, and I'm going to say this is just a silver lining of Snoop Dogg that has nothing to do with this movie, but I'm saying it anyway, which is he came out and... It was a segment, and I was very excited because I irrationally love Shane McMahon, who made a surprise <laughs> return. And then Shane immediately, I think, blew out both of his quads or some sort of... At least one quad. At least one quad. But he he went to do a move. He jumped up in the air, and he had just like a freak accident and could not get back up. And so they had to stall for time. And Snoop Dogg did a both just technically, you know, like on a technical level visually terrible uh but also completely saving the moment at, on live television for wrestlemania impromptu people's elbow and onto the miz onto the miz and i just it delights me to no end he was a really fun host anyway but like that was a plus just like well, saving. that he has that much of a sense of improvisation and showmanship that he knew exactly what to do like there wasn't anyone in his ear telling him to do that. Like, this was completely on the fly. And that's what a pro Snoop is. Yep. And I appreciate it because that's that's a huge, that's SoFi Stadium. Like, it's a giant stadium crowd that, you know, I don't think was going to. There were 70,000 people there. Yeah, there's 70,000 people that, like, were going to get, you know, at least there was going to be unrest and chaos because no one knew it was happening. And he found a way to just on the spot come up with something that delighted everyone and honestly like made the highlight reel sans context when they when all of a sudden done <laughs> yes uh so snoop's great um early silver lining snoop's awesome snoop is snoop i love snoop always always been a fan always be a fan and again like i said i i think i almost wish they would give this another shot because i i like him and the concept so much that i think there is something here with him being this guy yeah. So I guess I think we should hang out in the liminal space a little bit. Uh, of the three stories, what was your favorite? The second one. Uh, mine too. Yeah. With the, the, I, I'd probably go two, three, one if I were ranking them. Yeah, I would agree with that. That I And I think one, probably if I'm really being honest, like a distant third. Yeah. Yeah. Two and three are closer together. And one, like it just... It it was it was missing something. And I love Danny Trejo. I think he's great. He was a silver lining. But well, I don't know that there was just something narratively missing in that story that seemed like a little bit of a disconnect. Yeah, it's just I don't know that it made sense to me. Like, I don't know that I understood why she was being punished. And, you know, like, I, I just don't think the whole thing was like properly explained or explored as to what she was supposed to be doing, why she got the powers that she got them and how she failed. Yeah, it was it was all very thin. Um, and it just like I thought the 
the death scenes were sort of fun, like in a gory kind of way. But other than that, like narratively, this was far and away the weakest one. Right. And then the second one, I thought it's <laughs> the most like cartoonishly broad characters where they're not even attempting to make them human. But I think that really worked. No, I think it did, too. Um, Anson Mount and Brandy Roderick did a great job of playing just the worst people. Yeah. And Ernie Hudson, which I mean, we're still in the liminal space, I guess. But like, you know, great choice. Like he was really fun. That one, I think, worked overall. I mean, I could like nitpick little things with it, but I think it was the most successful to me. Yeah, we could talk about the physical impossibility of reverse vacuuming caviar into a woman's ha- some mouth until she explodes. Like, I don't think that would work. Well, all of the, all of the, you know, I don't know, like uh, seven, uh, you know, level torture that they were doing of her of like force feeding her caviar. I, I don't know what that was. That was weird. But um, but yeah. And then the third one, uh, again, very morality tale, but I liked it overall. And I, you know, play playing in some fun areas of he, only he can see the demon of his partner and diamond dallas page doesn't know what's going on and then him everyone thinking that he killed diamond dallas page right and then um and then he just decides to go down in a blaze of glory shooting all the cops yeah uh and then yeah and then they all go to hell they have the chance to do good but they did evil so they're going to hell yeah what they should have done is slit their throats to save their sister yeah um, I do want to say I really liked the opening animation, the opening cartoon. I really dug that. That might have been my favorite thing in the whole movie. I would say that it, I think, was unequivocally good out of like everything yeah. in the movie <laughs> that it it actually, I think, was on a level that I think was better than, you know, just like on a technical level than the rest. Well, of the I movie. think that like it was very stylistically drawn. The animation was um, it really worked like it wasn't like like what you consider like fluid animation but like stylistically it worked perfectly um i thought there was some genuine pathos when uh snoop's character's mother is like saying no you're a demon i don't want you etc etc and all of that like i thought i thought it was the most well executed thing in the whole in the whole movie i would agree yeah i think if that was just like a short film it's good it 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 was a good animated short yeah 100 like full stop it was I, i really loved it um the cast is great it really is. Yeah. I, I mean, so many fun. And like, again, we've touched on some of the big ones. I mean, Ernie Hudson, I think, uh, was my oh, favorite. He was, I, God, he's so freaking good. He is. And it's just like it, when he's making the guy make the choice of like, I'm either going to kill you or your girlfriend. And then, um, you know, the guy, of course, chooses to save himself. And he's like, exactly what I would expect from a Southern gentleman such as yourself. <laughs> like, just good from top to bottom, having the time of his well, life. And just an amazing bit of writing there is that the reason that he decides to save himself is that because they fed her so much caviar, she has like a bulging belly. And he's like, well, you kind of let yourself go. Yeah. Again, just because he's a terrible, irredeemable character. Just a monster. He, he yeah. never has a single line that humanizes him. <laughs> no, he is a, a just a pure caricature of of a just a racist monster and at one point he's and it's awesome he's wearing uh, a confederate flag like boxers like at one point just no yeah. he they truly make him awful 
Uh, but no, Ernie Hudson is great. I'm always going to be excited to see Billy D. Williams. Uh, yes. I mean, Diamond Dallas Page, who has like a, you know, sort of like more, he's done a lot of acting. Like when you really go through it, you know, and it's always fun to see him pop up. But then there's even like little people like I love Cleo King. who showed I was up just going to say Cleo King is yeah. great. Yeah. Um, she was literally the next name I was going to bring up. She is a delight. Yeah. Um, even Noel Guglielmi, who is uh, Monkey Up His Butt from Bruce Almighty, uh, he's a great character actor. He's a guy um, that that obviously this is his niche of, you know, like th- this is his wheelhouse. And uh, he every character that I've ever seen him play is always this. But yeah, I, I always mostly remember him as the monkey out of my butt guy because he's very memorable. Yeah. As that, but- and that's a memorable scene in that movie. Um. Also, I mean, Trejo. We love Danny Trejo. Oh, love Dan- Danny. Tre- the, the man can nut some dough. Yes. W- what can I say? <laughs> yeah, that is. You and I always talk about that because anytime you come to town, we have to go to Trejo's Donuts, uh, which because is. Because they're, they're a solid donut place. It's a really good donut place. And also, I, you know, I dream that he'll be there one day and we'll become friends. Yeah, I, I, we can only hope. Um, we already mentioned Lynn Shay, who is another great character actress. Um, Method Man. Love Mr. Math. Method Man is a really good actor. I think we talked about that when we did uh, the... What was that movie? The the police uh, movie with, oh, uh, with Ed, uh, Ed and uh, Dre? Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, God, what was it called? I can't remember, but yeah. But we, I think we talked about that because we said that they just... It was made too early for the Wu-Tang Clan to have been popular. But like, if Method, like Method Man is a good actor. He was great in The Wire. Like, he... He is legit a good actor. No, he is. He's uh he's awesome. I love Method Man. Yeah. Um had Jason Alexander, always happy to see Jason Alexander. I I am too Didn't do a good job in this. I was gonna say Didn't, I I love Jason Alexander dearly, but that accent was spotty. And he's a fantastic actor and has there's a lot more to him than just being George Costanza, but oof. Yeah, that was a choice. Yeah, I, I think it's one of those things where if he had just done an American accent, I, I think it would have been a fun little bit for him. But yeah, it ended up being a sort of spotty British accent that he was doing. Yeah. Um. But no, this like uh, there's a lot of enjoyable moments. Um, I think like the practical effects were pretty solid for like the gory death scenes. Like they all were pretty good. Yeah, well, and I liked what uh, like Quan looked like when he came back to life when he was a demon. There was some cool makeup effects and stuff. Yeah, um, and just like <laughs> the scenes in the movie, and it it doesn't serve any narrative purpose, but I kind of love it. Is that uh, Sod's limo is just sitting out back, and then Snoop <laughs> rolls up with his two demon women, and he's like, "They'll take care of you up front. I'm gonna chill in the back." And you just see the two women pleasure the driver while Snoop watches the award show on TV and it serves no narrative purpose whatsoever. Yeah, it, that scene like did crack me up because when I was watching it, I was like, oh, here we go. He's got something planned. And it was like, no, he just wants to no, be in this limo. <laughs> He's just there playing with his coke nail. And uh... oh, that was another with the effects as we were talking about too, because he had slit his throat. There was a really good shot. Where he ran his finger, I think it was the coke nail, along his neck uh, on the wound of where he had cut himself and like blood was dripping out of it. That looked really cool. 
and then he sealed it back up again. They just I mean, they just reversed the shot, but it looked cool. Yes. Yeah. But no, legit good effects, good animation in this. Like, yeah, some some stuff like that. That was really fun. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. It, it was I I was rooting for this, I'd say, like like we said, fun casts or some really fun moments and some things that I really did enjoy. And I think maybe the, a big silver lining of this, too, is that like. Everyone in this is sort of Teflon that this isn't going to hurt anyone. This movie. Yeah, like this. This movie did not ruin Ari Spears career. Um, You know, it didn't hurt Snoop at all. Didn't hurt DDP. Didn't hurt anybody in this movie. Like it was. um, Yeah, it, like this was fun. And I think the biggest maligning is that we didn't get more more attempts. Yeah. At Hood of Horror. I think if this had been a series like Tales from the Crypt, or even if they had just made more movies and they had had time to dial it in, I think there's a version of this that would have worked. Yeah, I mean, like, anthology horror is a classic staple of both literature and cinema as long as there's been literature and cinema. So there's always a place for it. Yeah. Um, And I love a good anthology horror flick. I'll, ju- I'll just say that, like, flat out. I think they're they're always fun um because i think you know this tends to be a little bit of a tighter narrative the exception being that first one was kind of all over the place but uh now this movie is is, it's a lot of fun um it is worth a tubi yeah yeah get get it on tubi that's how we watch it and it's what's it 80 some minutes 84 minutes yeah it's a cool 84 minutes you can you can knock this out pretty quick um it's got a very solid hip-hop soundtrack like nothing super memorable but like it's and it, it, it's it, got Cotton Eye Joe by Rednecks in it. Yeah. And you get like a, a closing credit summing everything up rap by Snoop. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, it really is. Um, It is uh, the moral of the story as uh, Snoop doing some storytelling rap. Yeah, it's man. It's fun. I'll say it like it's I'm not saying that you need to watch this, but it, it, you could do worse than putting this on at a Halloween party or like to get yourself in the mood for both the spooky season and for spooky seasoning. Yeah. Also, didn't you, yeah. you had one more. Oh yeah. No, the ultimate silver lining. Um, it, so I watched the whole credits just cause the Snoop song was on. I'm, I'm a Snoop Dogg fan. So I watched the, all of it. And um, normally at the end of credits, there is a, you know, there's always like the thank yous and everything like that. Um, but at the end of the credits, after like the special thanks, uh, there's a note that says for sale, 1972 Coupe de Ville, mint condition, 1995. Uh, so $1,995 or best offer ask for Joaquin. <laughs> it's a good joke. I like it. Like it's in the credits and that, that made me smile. And, um, that, that is my ultimate silver lining. So I think that's also what we're getting at it too. Let's all pool our money. Let's, uh, let's call Joaquin, see if he's still got that uh, Cadillac. That's $2,006, so it might have it gone up a little bit by now, but I think, I think but, we can all swing that. But I could spend two grand on a mint condition Coupe de Ville. Yeah, get a, get a, uh, like a Silver Linings playback mobile going. Like, yeah. Yeah, why not? You know, we'll use it to drive back and forth to see each other. <laughs> we're going to put some miles on it quick. Yes, we're... Hey, they don't make them like they used to, so it'll be fine. Yeah. And you'll all be fine (laughs) as long as you stay safe this spooky season. (laughs) 
Silver Linings Playback is a production of HoboTrashCan.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate or review it on Apple Podcasts. Hear more great shows on the Peak Sloth Podcast Network, like this one. This is Philip And Katie. And Bridget. And we're three friends who like movies. Especially movies of yore, when we were small and everything seemed awesome. Now we're revisiting these bright, shining beacons of our youth and figuring out if they are for real. So sit back and relax and revisit the best, the worst, and everything in between from the 80s and 90s. And find out, is, is it for real? real?